Good morning, fellowship. Would you stand? Let's sing together.
cross. Jesus is awaiting God so loved the world. You can be seated. I love to come to New Life Ranch and spend time with my parents and learn more about Jesus. We don't get enough opportunities as parents to really bond with our kids, especially when you have more than one child. This is a special moment for us because we just spend time together and we have lots of conversations and we talk about God and we read scripture and I don't think in our daily lives we take enough time to do those kinds of things so it's, um, it's, it's a really good opportunity to do that. I had a blast. Um, me and my mom got to tie-dye shirts, and you get to just get closer to God. Take time out of your schedule just to be with uh, your son or daughter, and also just to be with God, and to be, like I said, disconnected from everything else. So glad to be here worshiping with you and those of you that are online, we're glad to gather with you as well. It's, it's beautiful outside, we're worshiping the Lord inside. What could be better than a day like today? And so we're so glad you are here worshiping with us this morning. Hey, we know COVID's been a real big challenge for a lot of families and we've had the honor of praying with you and for you and there's just been a lot of challenging things this, this year in 2020. One of the, the, the blessings of, of the hard challenges of not being able to do our, our children's ministry and early childhood and student ministry is you've gotten to meet some of our staff that are normally doing other things. Last week, Hunter had our, our residents on stage with him, and, and this week, we've got Wendy Hall, and Wendy is our director of Highway 34, our third and fourth grade ministry, which normally meets across the foyer in the family center upstairs. Matter of fact, sometimes in community worship, we can hear them being loud. They've got a, they've got a, a theater in there. They've got a, a, a large room they worship in, and they break into small group classrooms. And so normally she's over there, but today we get to have her with us. So Wendy, tell us what's going on with family ministry and what we just saw on the, on the screen. Yes, um, it is. it does my heart just really, it just warms it to see families here and to see a lot of you students that are here that I have seen in the halls uh, of Highway 34 before. Um, the retreat, 3456, is for third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders and a parent, and it is my absolutely favorite thing that we do at Fellowship. And so I wanna encourage you, today is the last day to sign up. It's $25 a person, and it's next Saturday. It's at New Life Ranch, and I can't think of a better thing for you to do next Saturday than to join us to get one-on-one -on -one time with your child, and um, we, we just, we love it. So I hope that you will join us next week. So if you want to go, sign up today, and how you do that, like she said, is, is zoom in on that QR code, and you should have a bar come up. If the bar comes up, tap on it, and that'll take you to a page with all the information about things going on here at Fellowship. You can sign up for the parent-child retreat right there. If you can't get to that, um, just go to fellowshiprogers.org forward slash news or go to the website webpage. You can get there. Um, if you're new, same thing. Go to this QR code or go to the website. Um, let us know you're here just by clicking I'm new. We will follow up with you immediately. Or if you want a, a immediate human contact, you can, uh, as you leave today, you can stop by and talk to one of our staff that are standing outside greeting. We would love the opportunity to get you connected, especially during this COVID time here at Fellowship. Hey, a couple things I need to let you know about. One, we are having communion next week. So as you come in the service, you will be getting your elements as you walk in the service. It's a prepackaged container. It's a little bit hard to deal with. We'll give you more information about that, but you'll, you'll get that as you come in. If you're tuning in with us online, you'll need 
need to get your elements together beforehand this week. Go to the grocery store, get your elements together, and you can take those online with your family um, uh, in your living room or wherever you happen to be watching the service. Also, just like we've started gathering for in-person worship services again, Celebrate Recovery every Friday night is gathering right here. And so if that uh, appeals to you or something we say at Fellowship is everyone at Fellowship should be involved in Celebrate Recovery at some point, we invite you to join us on a Friday night. We'd love to have you joining with us. Hey, Fellowship, can you believe it's been almost a year since we started Clarity? We're about to finish up our Clarity series in the next several weeks. As a matter of fact, today we're looking at, uh, we're, we're turning the corner into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we just want to give parents a heads up, both those of you online and, and here in the room, that if you are, if you are, have your family in here with you this morning, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 deals with God's plan for human sexuality. There, there's going to be some stuff discussed in here this morning that you may not want your young family to know about. And so we uh, just want to let you know about that, let you make that decision. If you have uh, seventh graders and above, we want them in here. Uh, below that, we'll let you make the decision, but we've got a great alter alternative for you, and Winnie's going to tell us about that. In the community service um, area, we have a family service going on this morning right now um, that the elementary team has created, and it really it focuses on the exact same verses, and we're talking about just the purity of heart. So if anybody wants to come over there, it's a great opportunity to do that. And uh, for those of you watching online, we have family services that you can find online. If you will go to fellowshiprogers.org uh, forward slash family worship, you can find our services there. And for those of you who don't know, we have this great resource too that's available for kids or adults who might need a little help staying focused. Um, I think this is an awesome resource for you as well. Yeah, you can pick up your pack of crayons, you can color all during Sam's teaching today. You might enjoy that. <laughs> hey, we love celebrating life change here at Fellowship, and, and probably the best way we do that is through baptism, and we've got a baptism here this morning. So, Nick, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, John. Thanks, Wendy. Good morning, Fellowship family. We are so excited this morning just to get to celebrate Stephen Hastings. Um, Stephen Hastings this morning will be baptized by his father, and, and I have the, or the privilege, excuse me, um, to be one of his cell group leaders. And Stephen, I just remember one of the first times that you came to cell group. Um, you jumped in head first. Um, you leaned in. We've got a larger group, um, and you leaned in and were committed from day one. Um, and man, I just commend you for that. One of the things that I admire the most about you is just your desire um, to seek wisdom, to seek knowledge, and to ask questions. Um, before COVID, when we're having a discussion in a much larger group setting, um, it's oftentimes hard to ask questions. Many of us see that in our own community groups, in our own cell groups, as larger group areas. You know, you're not always comfortable to ask questions, but Stephen, you truly were a catalyst to our discussion. Um, you stepped out, you asked those questions, you make those statements, um, and thankful for that, you make us all better. Um, and so that's one of the things that I truly admire of you. And um, so excited to be here with your family today and some of our cell group guys um, as well, just to celebrate this morning um, and celebrate you publicly displaying um, and recognizing your faith through baptism in just a sweet moment with your father. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to him now. Thanks. So baptism doesn't save us, but it is a picture, a symbol of what Christ has done for us, of our death with Christ, our burial with Christ, our resurrection with Christ, and being raised to walk in newness of life with him. So we're thankful to get to, to gather together today to, uh, 
to observe this picture of what Jesus has already done in Stephen's life. Uh, It's super humbling to think about the fact that God is so offended by our sin that he would have to send his only son to die so that we could be forgiven for our sin. But I'm so thankful that um, God sent his son to die so that my son could have life. Even though we are more sinful than we ever would dare to believe, the truth of the gospel is that we are more loved and accepted than we could ever dare to hope because we have put our trust in Jesus and he has saved us. Stephen, you've spent the last really couple of years examining yourself, as scripture says, just to see that you're in the faith before you take this public step of of profession of faith and baptism. But I'll ask you, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior? I have. In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because of this public profession of faith in him today, I baptize you, my son and my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Awesome to celebrate life change for all of us who know that we have exercised faith in Christ and that Christ has saved us. This is a remembrance, an opportunity for remembrance for us. And we have the opportunity today uh, to offer our lives to Him again, not in the sense of being saved again, but the truth is that sanctification is something that happens day by day in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so Psalm 5 is going to be our call to worship this morning. Would you stand with us? Hear the word of the Lord. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And watch. Psalm 5 is is the morning prayer in the prayer book, the people of God. And this prayer has been rocking my world for the past few months. That in the morning, God says that he hears our voice when we cry to him. And the psalmist gives this example of laying our lives on the altar. Romans 12 would say it this way, that we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, for this is our spiritual act of worship. So I want to encourage you this morning to lay your life on the altar and to watch for God to move. And this morning we have the opportunity to worship him in spirit and truth as we hear his word. So just take a moment before we continue to sing a moment in prayer and laying your life on the altar.
magnified this morning. Where creation suddenly articulates with a thousand tongues to lift one cry. And from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be
we praise you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is deserving of all honor, glory, and power forever and ever. So God, would we humble ourselves before your word today. Teach us to trust. Teach us to obey. And God, empower us through partnership with your Holy Spirit to live obedient to your word. We love you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, recently, Amy and I have been downsizing our home as we've entered this new phase of life as empty nesters. And so we've been going through everything, every box. And as we were um, emptying out the attic, I found a box that I had not unloaded or looked in, probably in three moves. Do you have some of those? And, and as I looked down in the box, I found one of these. In fact, I found several of these. Uh, baseballs on top of my trophies that my mom had kept from me growing up playing youth sports. It's a home run ball. I don't mean to brag, but I was a baller growing up. Evidence, this is from our local newspaper. I was boy of the month for May in 1981. There's nothing like hitting a home run. I don't know if you've ever experienced it. There's a few of us that have, but the crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd, the celebration at home plate with your teammates, the, the ball retired from its existence forever to be put in a box in your attic. In, in our ball field in Clarksville where I grew up, it was just um, it was on the rodeo grounds. And so the ball field backed up to this barn that had a tin roof. And if you really got a hold of one, not only did you hit home run, but you, you cracked the tin roof and everybody would just get so excited. Now, one of the, my favorite parts of hitting a home run was rounding second. Because when you rounded second, that's when you made eye contact with the coach. Him smiling at you, you smiling at him. And, and on his face, approval, excitement, pride. And you knew you had delivered, and in that moment, you had pleased him. You know, we're all living to please someone, whether it be our, our parents or our spouse or our children or our, our boss or our coworkers or teammates, our friends or ourselves. We're all living to please someone. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because our passage today actually talks about pleasing. It actually talks about living to please God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we've been studying this New Testament book uh, during the fall and, and now we turn to chapter 4 and there's going to be a change in topic for the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul has written lengthy personal comments to encourage the church at Thessalonica. He has given them his commendation and he has caught them doing right. And over and over again, he's pouring out praise over them. But now in chapter 4, he's going to change the subject and he's going to move from personal comments of encouragement to practical instruction on Christian living. In fact, look at the, the first verse. 
at this first phrase, it says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now living. Now we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do, to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Look at that opening phrase. The, the section begins with, as for other matters, here in the New International Version. Now, if you have the English Standard Version or the New American Standard, it might say, finally, brothers and sisters. It's an indicator that Paul is changing his subject matter. And he says in the passage, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God. And you're doing it. Again, staying on track with the theme of the letter, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to give his commendation, to give his encouragement to this church. For him, they were a model of how to follow the Lord Jesus. And he catches them again doing right. He says, you are living to please God. But then he exhorted them to keep on track. He says, I urge you in the name of Jesus to do this more and more. Listen to the intensity of his challenge. He appeals to them in the name of the Lord to, to follow God more, with more fervor or with, with more zeal. He challenged them to not be content with where they were at in their faith, to not be content with their progress. He challenged them to not live off of path, past success, to keep pursuing the Lord and keep living in a way that pleases him. You know, I've noticed something about us. Sometimes we rely on past experiences to support our current spiritual status. We make a claim of being a serious follower of Jesus, but our, our evidence for our spiritual health or vitality is all in past tense. Our spiritual highlight reel is in the rear view mirror. And so we say things like, you know, I served for many years on the worship team. Or, or I used to be a community group leader. Or I used to lead a Bible study. Or I went on a mission trip one time to Guatemala. Or I served in our college ministry. Past tense. Past tense. Or my two favorites. I went to seminary or my grandfather was a pastor. Which we all know guarantees you right status with God forever. Right? Paul's challenging them. Past success is not an indicator of current spiritual health. He tells them, you're doing good, but don't settle. Don't become content. He exhorts them to not stop, to continue to take ground, to avoid complacency. He says, I, I see in you this heart of obedience, but I wanna urge you to do so more and more. And look at verse two. Paul says, know this, these instructions that we have given you about how to follow the Lord and how to please them, these are not our opinions. These are not cultural norms. These are given by the authority of the Lord Jesus. These are his commands and standards. And he reminds them that God's word has final say. And hold on to that because that will be important for today's content. So what we're talking about in chapter four is how to live in order to please God. And, and Paul is reminding them of these instructions. And, and this topic of pleasing God is going to last us all of the chapter, and we're going to cover it in our teaching series in four weeks. 
So how to live to please God. Today we'll talk about our sexuality. Next week we'll talk about how to live to please God in loving others or in relationships. And then the following week we'll look at how to please God even in our grief. And he's gonna move to his first topic. How to please God in our sexuality. And in our verses today we're gonna see a bold standard set and I'm gonna give it to you right up front. That, that in order to, to please God in our sexuality, here's the statement. That our sex life should be holy, honorable, and pleasing to God. Hear it again. Our sexuality can be, it should be, holy, honorable, and pleasing to God. It can be holy and pure, set apart from all that is sinful and evil. It can be honorable and respectable, and dignified. It can be something that has God's approval. It can be pleasing in his sight. Our sex life can bring glory to God. You know, many times we wanna avoid talking about sex or sexuality in church. We avoid mixing our sexuality and our spirituality. And while the subject does need to be addressed with modesty and sensitivity, our sex life does not need to be relegated to the shadows. In fact, think about it. God created sex. Sex was his idea. He designed it with great intent and purpose. And it is good. And it is beautiful. And it is holy. You were created to be a sexual being. And God has a plan for that part of your life. We can live a life that pleases God that has his approval, that is holy and honorable, even in our sex life. So how do we do that? How do we please God in this area of our lives? Well, I want you to look at verse three, which is the theme verse. It's the thesis verse of the whole passage. Let me read it to you. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. I don't know if we can start off any stronger than this. It's God's what? Will. It's God's will that we should practice sanctified sexuality. You know, many of us spend time wondering what God's will is for our lives. Have you ever asked that question? And you might have asked that question in relation to who should I marry? Or where should I live? Or what should I major in in college? Or which job should I pursue for my career. And these things are very important. But often God's will transcends these specific questions. And here it's perfectly clear. God's will is for us to be sanctified. Now this is a theological term. It, it describes the process of our growing up in the faith or our maturing in the faith. I love the way that Dr. Wayne Grudem defines sanctification. He says it is a progressive work of God and man. Sanctification is a continual process that lasts our entire lives, from the time we believe in Jesus to the time that we see him upon our death or his return, we're in the process of sanctification. It's a progressive work, and it's a partnership where God's the primary worker, but we partner with him in dependence upon him as we obey his word, a progressive work of God and man that makes us more free from sin, and like Christ in our actual lives. It's a lifelong 
partnership with God to become more like Jesus and more mature each day in the faith. This is God's will for you, that you would be sanctified, that you would become more like Jesus and more free from sin. Now, you can do that as a married person or a single person. You can do that here in Northwest Arkansas or in Houston or in San Francisco. You can do that internationally or here in the States. You can do that as a teacher or as a stay-at-home parent or as a retired person or as someone in the business world. This is God's will. Sometimes he might reveal a more specific plan about where and, and how, but he's very clear what his will is. It's God's will that we should be sanctified. You can do that in a number of different ways. We know what his will is. It's to be conformed into his image. And this includes our sex life. That we should practice sanctified sexuality. Now think about that concept. Sanctified sexuality. A sex life that is free from sin. A sex life that conforms to the plans and the purposes of God. And this verse ends with the command, avoid or abstain from sexual immorality. Paul commands for us to avoid sexual sin, to abstain from sexual impurity. Now, this is a first century document we're studying today, written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica in the Greek language. And the Greek word that is translated for us into the English phrase sexual immorality is the Greek word porneia. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get our word for pornography. And Paul is warning, steer clear, keep away, avoid porneia or sexual immorality or immoral sexual behavior. Now, the concept of sexual immorality implies that there is actually a proper context for sexual expression or sexual morality, that there's an inbounds and there's an out-of-bounds, that there's a, a proper way to express our sexuality and therefore an improper way. And the God who created sex, he has a purpose and a plan for our expression and, and practice. So how do we define what is proper and what is improper? What is considered to be sexual immorality or outside of God's plan? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures that will describe that God's plan for proper sexual expression is marriage. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, that's in those first three chapters of the scriptures. I often think of those as like a blueprint for mankind, where God reveals a lot of basic things about humanity. And in Genesis chapter 2, Verses 24 and 25, it gives us our proper context. Let me read it. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. A man will leave his father and his mother, will be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. That's the goal of marriage, oneness. It's a spiritual oneness. It's an emotional oneness. It's a relational oneness, and it's a physical oneness. This is describing the sexual union. And look at verse 25. The man and the woman in the context of marriage were before the Lord. They were naked and they felt no shame. Sanctified sexuality. Approved by God. Pleasing to him. 
in its proper context. The New Testament also affirms this proper context for sexuality. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. It says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The Hebrews passage describes the right context for expressing sexuality, marriage, in both the positive and the negative. It says sexual purity is what you find in the context of marriage, but sex outside of marriage is considered to be adultery and immorality. So how do we avoid sexual immorality? That was the command in verse 3 of our passage for today. Well, you express sex in its right context. So let me give a clear and concise definition of right sexual expression. Sex is to be expressed between a man and a woman in the context of a monogamous, heterosexual marriage relationship for life. Sanctified sexuality that is approved by and that pleases the Lord is to be expressed in marriage. So there are some exclusions. This excludes premarital sex. It excludes extramarital sex. It excludes homosexual sex. It excludes pornographic sex. Now the statement I just made will actually catch some off guard. It'll sound out of date, old-fashioned, even prudish, because it's so drastically different than the cultural norm. We live in a world that's adrift sexually. When it comes to sexuality, we have lost our true north. We're operating with no regard for God's plans for sexual purity or wholeness. We've moved on from the sexual revolution of the 60s and the 70s through the sexual liberation of the 80s and 90s, and we're living now in the sexual anarchy of 2020, where there's no authority outside of each individual for deciding what is right or wrong and sexuality. And lately, in a culture that would actually villainize or shame anyone who would hold to a holy standard for sexuality as expressed through the scriptures. Verse three is clear. It is God's will that we should all be sanctified, that we should avoid sexual immorality. Sanctified sexuality is God's Will. It's his purpose and his plan for us in this area of life. Now, when it comes to sexuality, we talk a lot about loving people. And I believe that one of the most loving things that we can do is to guide people into God's plan for this important area of our lives. So if, if you find yourself here today or if you're watching online and you're currently living outside of God's plans for this area of life, I want you to hear two things. You are loved, and we're here to help. God's word is the standard to aim for, not a billy club or a source of shame. His teachings are the, the pathway to sexual health, not agents or, or, or burdens of guilt. So hear me clearly. If your sex life is not in alignment with the will of God, don't run away from the church. Run to us. You are loved and we're here to help. We're here to come alongside of you and help you find health and life in this area 
of your life as you come under the authority of God's will and find alignment with his will as revealed through his word. A few years ago, I was doing some premarital counseling and I was working with a young couple as they were headed to the altar. Uh, we always have a great time in our premarital process. But we also have some standards for performing marriages that are revealed in the scriptures. And so I asked them, are you, are you guys sexually pure? Are you abstaining from premarital sex? And simultaneously, they answered. He said, yes, and she said, no. <laughs> I kind of said, that's impossible. We all had a little laugh, and he said I was lying. Uh, I was covering up. And I said, hey, let's back away from that topic. Let's zoom out. Ten years from now, what kind of home do you want to have? Do you want to have a home that God's word is prevalent in, a godly home? Do you want to follow the Lord in obedience? They both said, yes, absolutely. That's why we're here with you. That's why we want to get married in the church. And I said, can we start now? And in that room, there was alignment. There was repentance. There was conformity to the standard and a commitment to practice purity on the way. If you're outside of God's plans, you're loved and we're here to help. Let's go on in the passage. Look at verses four to six. And they're gonna describe sanctified sexuality. Let me read it. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So in these verses, we'll find six descriptions of sanctified sexuality and a warning. And they'll come. Three positive Three negative, let's identify them and discuss them. First, the positive one, sanctified sexuality. It's self-controlled, it's holy, and it's honorable. Sanctified sexuality should be self-controlled. God designed us each as sexual beings, so therefore we have desires, we have impulses, we have urges and hungers. Yet he calls for us to exercise restraint in those and Follow his will. Why would he do that? Hey, sex is a very powerful force. And therefore, it requires caution and, and discretion. Think of sex like fire. Fire is a good thing, isn't it? Fire in a furnace can heat your house. Fire in a fire pit can roast your marshmallows. Fire coming from Amy's burner on the stove can make me chicken and dumplings. Fire in the right context is very good. But what about fire outside of the proper context? It destroys. And so the apostle, speaking on behalf of the Lord, says exercise self-control in this very delicate area of life. It's also described as holy. Sanctified sexuality is sexuality that's set apart. It's distinct from all that is sinful or evil or even common. And it's honorable, respectable, dignified, principled, virtuous. There's no need in sanctified sexuality to hide or to lie or to cover up or to be ashamed. There is a pathway for expressing sexuality that pleases God, that's holy and honorable and self-controlled, that's pure and dignified, without guilt, without regret. 
The passage also delivers three negative descriptions of sanctified sexuality. It says not in passionate lust, not imitating a godless culture, and not wronging others. Sanctified sexuality is not driven by lust. Lust is simply defined as a craving to satisfy self. And Paul instructs us not to follow our desires and urges and impulses wherever they lead. It's the exact opposite encouragement that we all get from our culture, which just says, that's who you are, follow that pathway. And Paul says, no, not in passionate lust and not imitating the godless culture. He says, not like the pagans who do not know the Lord. We're called to embrace a sexuality that's different than the world around us. One shaped not by our fleshly desires, not by our godless culture, but shaped instead by the will of the Lord as revealed by the word of the Lord for the glory of the Lord. Amen? The eight o'clock out amens you and they were about a third this size. Amen? I know this is sensitive stuff. Nobody's sweating more than me. <laughs> the last negative. Not wronging others not taking advantage of your brother or your sister, this obviously would outlaw, ban, and condemn rape or abuse. But I think it also speaks to wronging someone who would willingly participate. You wrong someone when you drag them into sex outside of marriage, whether premarital or extramarital. It is not evidence of love. It is disregard for your spiritual and your physical health. So three negatives, and then the, this section of the passage closes with a warning. It says, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. And with the strongest language in the passage, Paul writes that there are consequences for sexual sin. He therefore issues a warning. He offers a caution to those who would act independently of the will of God, who would, who would chart their own course and that's consistent with the Bible. The Bible consistently offers warnings about immoral sexual behavior. In fact, for further reading this week, try Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7. Back-to-back -back chapters, each dwelling in a portion on a warning about sexual immorality. I'll offer a sample from Proverbs 6. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he or she who sleeps with another person's spouse. No one who touches them will go unpunished. I would like to issue some warnings of my own. First warnings about pornography. Sexual addiction is at an epidemic level in our country. With the invention of the smartphone in 2007, Paired with a high-definition screen, paired with high-definition or a high-speed internet, pornography found its perfect and secret delivery system. Currently, 25% of all internet searches on Google are related to pornography. Did you hear that? Currently, 25% of all internet searches through Google are related to pornography. In 2019, the world's largest pornographic website was visited 42 billion times. The average age of first pornographic exposure in our country is now age 11. And neurologists and scientists have discovered 
that the effects of pornography on the brain are just below the effects of opioids. This is addictive stuff. So be warned. Pornography is not a harmless way to satisfy your curiosity or your sexual desires. It will consume you and it will destroy your lives. You are loved and we're here to help. Second warning, parents, we've got to educate and protect our students and our kids as they pursue sexual health in today's world. Be intentional and be proactive, especially with their digital devices. Now I stand before you today and I'm on this side of parenting teenagers. I don't know if we did it right, but we tried and our kids didn't like us, which I think is probably a sign of success. And when they first got their iPhones or Android devices, for those of you who are in that cult, <laughs> we made them charge them upstairs away from their bedrooms at night. And they did not like that. But we felt like giving them their digital device all night with a closed door would be a horrible decision. And we didn't want to put that temptation in there. And not only did they not like it, but then we were forced with the social decision when we had people spend the night, because we did all the time. I would just count the bodies in the morning before I got donuts. And we had to decide, now do we make their friends charge their devices upstairs? And we did, and therefore became the lamest parents in Springdale. But I sure hope those kids felt loved. Third warning. Oh, parents, by the way. We're going to post this week a class that we recorded last year encouraging you as a parent, parenting a teenager in their sexuality in a digital age. It'll be on our social media this week, and you can review that. Last warning. For those who think that engaging in an extramarital affair is going to work out, be warned. It's not. You may buy into the lie that on the other side of your indiscretion will be happiness. And it's not true. You and those you love will get burned. Hear the warning again. Can a man or a woman scoop fire into their lap without their clothes being burned? Can a man or a woman walk on hot coals without their feet being scorched? So is he or she who sleeps with another person's spouse. No one who touches them will go unpunished. The scriptures warn, they advise, they caution when it comes to sexual sin. And if that's where you're at, you are loved and we're here to help. The passage closes with a reminder of our, both our calling and the source of that calling. Here verses 7 and 8. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. That would be a great memory verse for this week. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. We're called to live a holy life. And this includes our sex life. We should be set apart, distinct, different than the culture around us. And we live in a dark and confused world when it comes to sexuality. The enemy has taken this beautiful gift and 
He has tarnished it and he has cheapened it. And we need in our world a group of people who will fight to redeem sexuality and pull it out of the gutter. Sanctified sexuality, healthy sexuality. And it's our calling from God. And it's non-negotiable. Do you remember verse two for early, from earlier? Paul says, I give you instructions from the authority of the Lord Jesus. He returns to that theme at the end of the section. He bookends this passage under the authority of the Lord of God. These instructions are not Paul's opinions. They are not out of date. They are not old-fashioned. They are not prudish. They're from the Lord. And to reject them is to reject God himself. Fellowship Bible Churches believes in the authority of the word of God. And the word of God calls for us to live out this standard without compromise. Amen? Let's review. Instruction on sanctified sexuality. The goal was to please God. The instruction was to avoid sexual immorality. The application was self-control. Follow God's plan with restraint. The description was holy and honorable and the source, the authority, was God himself. Our sex life can be and should be holy, honorable, and pleasing to God. Hey, let's close with some reflection time. And I think it would be proper for us to spend some time in confession this morning. Let's face it. There's not a person in here, including me, who hasn't sinned in this area of life, whether it be in our, our eyes or our thoughts or our hearts or our actions. And so we need to go before the Lord and thank him for the cross of Jesus that can reconcile us back to him. And then I think we need to ask ourselves, are we conformed to his plan or are we living independently when it comes to our sexuality? And maybe we need to align with his plan because our culture has brainwashed us into believing it's out of date. And then lastly, we need to commit to living self-controlled lives that are holy and honorable. Would you, would you pray with me? And I'll give you just a moment between you and God. Maybe a moment of confession or conformity or commitment. Lord, not one of us in this place, not one of us watching online from home is free from sexual sin. So Lord, we confess impure thoughts, impure looks, impure desires and actions. And we ask you to forgive us in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you love us And Lord, we align ourselves with your will, your plan for sexuality. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would partner with us this week to fight for purity and holiness 
Help us to resist temptation and to flee sexual immorality. Oh, Lord, we need your help. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. make this our prayer this morning. Give us clean hands, pure hearts. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure Clean hands. 
thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your church, the opportunity we have to come to worship you, to be edified. We praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us, fellowship, this morning. If you'd like prayer, we have Dick and Connie Nervig in the prayer room. We'd love for you uh, to go back there. They'd love to pray with you. Would you go in peace in the love of Christ this week?